In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's nothing more important than relationship with God. And as a part of that relationship with God, relational conversation. And so if we're to have relationship with God, it requires us to be in conversation with him so that we are able to hear him and we are, we are speaking to him. We're walking in conversation with him. That's one of the reasons why we have the, the devotional book that we do back, um, that we we're reading as a church family. There's more copies back there if you don't yet have it. Hearing God, learning to hear God's voice. As a part of that, after Easter, I, I um, turn to Luke chapter 24. And, and so I'd like you to do that now. Luke chapter 24, and we'll begin with verse 13. And as is so often, um, I had thought this would be a, a one sermon that, yeah, you can go ahead and laugh, that um, we would see how God reaches into our lives. And so this, this is the account of two people walking on the road from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, about seven miles away, and Jesus joining them. And so the, right after Easter, we started this series, and, and we've been walking through the series about relational conversation. Nothing's more important than our relationship with God. And, as, and so it makes this relational conversation with God essential. So we looked at that. And then last month, I sensed we needed to take a, a, a shift and look at Hebrews chapter 12 when we spent about a number of weeks on that. But I wanted to come back to this passage because it's so important and complete it. So if you want to listen to the whole series you have to jump. We do have the first, I think, four or five, five messages, and now we're going to pick it up and do the last couple. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13, is where we're going to start. And, and we have pulled 11 kind of lessons, truths, um, out of this passage. We've looked at the first eight so far. So let's just review these very quickly. The first truth was, as life goes on, Jesus is near. So right after Easter, these two men that were on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they've, they've experienced Jesus being arrested, beaten, crucified, dying, being buried. And now they've heard that Women have gone to the tomb and the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive and they're all confused and we don't know why they're taking a trip on this road to Emmaus, but that's what they're doing. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. As life goes on, Jesus is near. They didn't know Jesus was near. They thought they were alone. But Jesus was near. Because God is the reacher. Number two, God is the reacher. Verse four, 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus was near. And now he reaches into this conversation. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them. Truth number three was G God uses angst to pull us closer. God uses those times when we are in angst, when we are 
We, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's happening. We, we have got all these questions. We, and, and emotionally, we're out of sorts. and We don't know what's going. He uses angst to get our attention. Verse, the second part of verse 17. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Jesus asked. And they stood still looking sad. Angst. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? Number four, God engages us by asking questions. And this, is, this was a huge one when we were talking about it. God asks us questions. If we're going to be in relational conversation, then it's a relational conversation. It's not one-sided, us talking to God. It's not one-sided, God talking to us. It's this relational conversation. And often, throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you find God asking questions to get our attention and pull us in. And so Jesus said to them in verse 19, What things? Was it because Jesus didn't know? No, he knows he was the whole object, right? What things? God's purposes in relational conversations are to, and, and this is not in your outline, but it's up here, right? It's up here. It's to stop us. So he stopped them in their tracks. They stopped, looked at him, they were sad, and they said, what are you? To stop us. And then to expose the upside down stuff in our lives. To reveal God and his truths and give us uh, those aha moments. And then to challenge us to repent and follow him in different ways. And we talked in depth about that. If you want to get the old sermon, you can do that. Number five, we discovered that engaging God together is better. And we see this, this throughout. Because it was in verse 19, they said to him. It wasn't just one of them. It was they said to them. It was together. And engaging God together is better. That's why we, we were made for relationship with God, but we're also made, made for relationship with one another. And when God is a part of that, then it's all of us together. We experience God's presence in powerful ways where in, together that we can't alone. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there my presence is and powerfully. He didn't say, he, he's with us all the time. But there's something that happens together. And then number six, honesty with God is essential. Don't give God Sunday school answers when he asks you a question. Because he already knows. Have you, have you ever found yourself talking to God going, God, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but... And, you, and then you pause and you go, well, yeah, you do know. And so they respond. They, no, it's they, not one of them, they responded. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early, the, in, early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had, had even, they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So they were just answered. They were just honest with him saying, here's what we've heard. Here's what we've experienced. We don't know what to make. They had all the facts right, but they didn't understand what was happening. 
That's why you can read all the facts of the Bible, but unless the Holy Spirit is revealing, you'll never get it. Right? Have you ever sat across the table with somebody and you're trying to explain something about God and it's just like this blank look? Because if the Holy Spirit of God is not working, they can't grasp it. Number seven, we saw that God is the revealer. So he patiently listens to all that they had to say. And then he responds in verse 25. He said to them, oh, foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. And he wasn't being mean. He was just saying, you're not being wise. You're not grasping all that I told you before. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And he told them that multiple times during the three years he was with them. And so what we saw under that was that we're blind by default. We're blind. Without the Holy Spirit revealing, we're blind. We can't see. We can't understand. Only God opens our eyes, which is why we need to be in his presence. And in order for him to open our eyes, we have to give him sufficient time and attention. And I told a story that I'd made up called Don't Be Like Spike. Don't be like Spike. And you can ask Shannon about it. <clears throat> God will connect the dots according to his plan. And we talked a lot about that. God connects the dots, but it's his way, not our way. Number eight, <clears throat> God uses the Bible as the core of conversation. This is where we left off on June 19th with the last installment of this. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. Jesus was God, but he used the scriptures to open their eyes to what the truth was. Even Jesus used the Bible to connect the dots. True relational conversation requires the foundation of biblical truth, which is why we so emphasize reading, studying, listening to the Bible, the Word of God, the truth. This is our plumb line. And if you don't have this as a plumb line, as an anchor, as a foundation, you can easily get swayed. And, and you can't understand because it is what God uses as the, as the core. And so we must work hard at listening more than trying to figure it out. Listening to, this, to God speak to us rather than trying to figure out on our own. And then we saw, we looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where we see God trains us by using the Bible to teach us, rebuke us, show us where we're wrong, correct us, make it right, and then to train us. That's where we stop. Now I want to talk today about experiencing the wonderful, amazing voice of God as he speaks to us. Experiencing the wonderful, amazing, relational conversations that he so wants to have with us. There's nothing more important than a relationship with God. In order to have a relationship with God, we have to have relational conversations. It's the bedrock of our lives and living out his purpose. And it, it will be more pleasurable and more fulfilling than any, uh, anything else that you ever experience. So we'll take a couple of weeks to address this. So number nine the ninth truth that we pull out of this chapter is that God uses circumstances to nudge us. 
God uses circumstances to nudge us. In one of my live streams a month or so ago, um, I was talking and it just came to me that, um, that so oftentimes God tugs us towards what he wants us to experience rather than talking to us. And isn't that true when we're trying to teach a child something? Sometimes you can explain all you want, but it's in putting them in the right place. Remember when um, I, I used to help coach my boys in Little League, and I'd say, you could, you could say, okay, you're playing second base. I need you to move that way a little bit more. That way, no. And, and finally, you just go out there and you just go, stand here. It's easier to say, it's, it's easier to pull them over and put them where they need to be than it is to explain it. And we're not any smarter than that with God. I think far more we need to stop trying to hear God talk and pay attention to how he tugs. God uses circumstances to nudge us. Appearances are not always reality. Look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. So they've been walking and walking. They stopped. They were sad. They started talking. They were talking. Jesus started explaining. They started walking again as he takes them from the Old Testament, walks them through all the prophets about. And, and so as they drew near to the village, Emmaus, where they were headed, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. Now, this is another part of the story I love. Because Jesus is faking them out. Does he ever do that to you? Yeah. Jesus is pretending to do one thing when his intention is to do another. Does that... that I love that because it's, it's creative and it makes sense in how we do relationships, right? How often with your children, you would... I don't know, maybe you didn't. Maybe I'm just the freak of a father who says, um, you want them to do something. And, you know, little kids, you want them to do something. Oh, I don't want to go there. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to beat you. I'm going to get there faster. And you have no intention of beating them, but you just want to get them moving toward the door. So you pretend like you're going to beat them, but they, and, they, and then you both cheer because he beats you. Why do we do that? Because we love them. And we want them to do what they need to do. And we want to make it fun for them. We want to make them feel affirmed and valued instead of scolded. Right? And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He pretends that he's going on farther to give them the opportunity to do the right thing and say to him, no, stay. Isn't that great? I love that. So appearances are not always reality. Jesus was forcing them to make a decision of whether inviting him to talk more or letting him go. And there are times when Jesus does that with us. Are you really going to invite me into that situation? Or are you going to go on and just do it yourself? Are you going to surrender and listen? Or are you going to try to do it yourself? And so he pretends to go farther. And by them acting in the right way, because they knew something was happening, they didn't know what it was, 
he, he wasn't talking, he was tugging. They didn't know what he was doing, they, and they didn't even know who he was yet, but they knew something important was happening, something special was happening here, and they didn't want him to go. And so they said to him, they urged him strongly, please, please, oh no, don't go any farther, come on, stay with us. For it is getting toward evening. The day is now, now far spent. We don't want you to go any farther. Just stay with us. Which is what he was wanting to do anyway. But now it was their choice, their invitation. God will do a lot in our lives if we just invite him in. Amen. Did you know that? Amen. The more we surrender, the more we get on our knees in the morning and say, God, I give you this day. Walk me through this day. And we step by step say, take this, take that. Do. And he will, he will, he'll do that, but he won't force it. When we invite him, please stay with us. And so he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And this is where um, in a cartoon you go, ta-da! <laughs> and their eyes were open. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. They recognized him. And then he disappeared. And if it was me, I would go, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> At the moment I recognize him and I, now I've got all kinds of questions, he disappears. Do you get mad? Or do you trust? Because God knows what he's doing, even when we don't. Appearances are not always reality. He appeared to be going farther, but he, what he was really doing is waiting for their invitation. And then he revealed himself, and then he vanished, and he appeared to be disappearing from them when they, needed, when they wanted him most, when in reality he was doing what was best, as we'll see in just a moment. Which brings us to what I, I've already mentioned, is watch for more tugging and less talking. Watch for more tugging. Watch for how God is nudging us. Because it just appears to me the longer that I'm a Christian, he does a lot more of, 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 of just guiding us without explanation because we, there are, we wouldn't understand if he tried to explain. Remember Isaiah 55. Um, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours. As high as the heaven is from the earth are my thoughts and my ways than yours. Yeah, so he would just blow all the circuits in our brains if he tried to explain everything. So he just tugs us. He just nudges us. And, and it comes back to that scripture we talked about a while back on Matthew chapter 11. I put it there in your outline. Where he says, come to me all who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now remember the picture. The yoke is this wooden contraption that was used for oxen. And Jesus is saying, I'm the, the older, wiser, experienced oxen. You as a young one who needs to learn, you put your head in the other side and then pay attention to my tugs because I'll teach you. In fact, because I'm older, I'll carry most of the burden in this yoke, but you have to keep your head in here and you have to pay attention because when I, when you feel me tugging forward, 
then follow the tug. If you feel me stopping, follow the tug and stop. If you feel me going left, follow the tug. If you feel me going right, follow the tug. We have to pay attention to the tugs. And oftentimes the circumstances that we think are the worst, that are the disaster, that are hard, that we shouldn't have to experience, are the tugs from God to go and be and do and experience all that he says. Because he says it's his burden compared to the world is light. So keep your head in the yoke because he tugs more than he talks. You got it? You need to write that down. He tugs more than he talks. So keep your head in the yoke and pay attention to the tug because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. And remember what he... he um, Remember what Jesus told Paul when he, he brought him to his knees on the Damascus Road? Paul, who was Saul, was persecuting the church and he's, and he's on the road and Jesus appears to him in a vision and he, and he says, why do you keep kicking against the goads? In other words, those, those pointed things that would keep oxen going in the right direction. Why do you keep trying to go a different direction than me? Does he ever say that to us? Yeah, he does. All the time. So pay attention to the tugs. And pay attention, the next one is pay attention for what God is already up to. We've talked before about one of the earlier points was that Jesus is the reacher. He's the one who works preemptively. And, and I've seen so often in the last couple of years how much God is already taking the initiative in circumstances that I'm not even aware of, that only as we look back can we see he was there all the time. He was working ahead of us. He was creating circumstances, but he didn't give us the, the master five-year plan. Why? Because we're just supposed to walk in step with the Spirit. As it'll overwhelm you if he tries to tell us much more than that. And so he's, he pay attention to what's already in process, what God is already up to. And it, and it will amaze us when we're able to trust. Trust will be the next one. And so here's an example. And when I give you these examples, it's not because I'm trying to say, look at me, but rather you are, if you're watching, you're experiencing these same kinds of things. Um, so many of you know that my sister, um, 10 years ago, her oldest son, was one of those killed in the Aurora Theater shooting in, in Aurora, Colorado. This was a 10-year anniversary. So back about January, February, we started planning to all go back. Sheila, myself, um, my sister, her younger son, and anybody else in the family wanted to go back for the 10-year commemoration of their death. And we talked about it, and I just never sensed it. And, and so about two or three months before the July 20 date, I just sensed God was saying, no, I want you to stay back and take care of your mom. Because my mom lives with my sister. And we were going to try to figure out somebody to watch, watch her. And I just sensed very strongly that we weren't, we weren't supposed to go. We were just supposed to have her come visit us in Pittsburgh. Then uh, a few weeks before that, 
July 20 date, my mom ended up in the emergency room with stomach pain. And so instead of bringing her here, we needed to go there. And, the, and she needed to have um, some testing and, some, and a colonoscopy. And the, the first date they could get her in was the day my sister was leaving. And so instead of her bringing her here, we went there. Preemptively, God was working. And, and the tug was, no, Herb, I don't want you to go. I want you to stay. I want you to take care of your mom. So if, we, if I hadn't, since that tug, if God hadn't preemptively worked, I would have had to change my plane. You know, it had just been a mess. But instead, God had us there. And Sheila and I were going, why that day? Why, why, you know? And then we got there, and when she had the test turn out, it was a lot more serious. Um, they weren't able to complete the colonoscopy. And, and just as a side, thank you all for your prayers for my mom and for us during that time. That meant so much. So we got her there for the colonoscopy. They couldn't complete the colonoscopy because there was a blockage. And it turned out her colon was twisted. Turned out there was a malignant, a small malignant mass that they eventually had to take a, a section of her colon out. Now, here's the wonderful thing. If my sister had been there alone, she wouldn't have been able to handle it because it took both of us to take care of her during that time. Because of all the testing, all the prep, all, all, it was just a mess. And if we had brought her here, it would have been a mess. But because he had us there, and so she ended up in the hospital for 10 days, we were able to be there, both of us, so that we could take care of my mom. It was supposed to be my vacation. Before we ever left, I sensed God say, no, this is your opportunity to be a servant for me, for your mom. And I've arranged everything ahead of time. So you and Sheila are there. Your sister can go grieve as she needs to grieve. She, and it's off her plate. And we're there. Preemptively, God takes care of it. And then gives us all that we need. He does it over and over and over again. God works preemptively. Now, my mom had the surgery. She's recovering well. I, the, the woman has a tolerance for pain that I can't even comprehend. So she had this surgery, traditional surgery. They cut through all the muscles. And I talked to her on the phone. She goes, you know, these staples kind of irritate me. <laughs> staples? I would be bent over in pain. And she's just going, I'm good. God takes care we need to pay attention to how God is working. So I could have said, oh man, I really want to go to Colorado. God, why are you telling me not to go? Right? Or I could have said, God, this was supposed to be my vacation. I was supposed to be able to. And God said, no, this is about serving. I could have said all of those things. And that brings us to the next bullet point there that is so important. We have to develop a trust attitude in all circumstances. It is absolutely essential. So when God tugs and he says, I don't want you going to Colorado, my attitude needs to be, okay, God, I trust that you love me and you love everybody concerned and you know what's best. And, and even though I'm disappointed, I'm going to trust you with this. When I have to rearrange my schedule and take a week to take care of my mom instead of being on vacation, I have to say, okay, I trust you, God. You're in charge. You know what you're doing. 
I'm, I'm just, I just need to follow the tug. There's a story that I've used a couple times before that for some people have, has become kind of an iconic um, picture of this. Here's the story. It's of a, a king in Africa who had a close friend with whom he grew up. The friend had a habit of looking at every situation that ever occurred in his life, positive or negative, and remarking, this is good. Anybody remember this? One day, the king and his friend were out on a hunting expedition. The friend would load and prepare the guns for the king. The friend had apparently done something wrong in preparing one of the guns, for after taking the gun from his friend, the king fired it and his thumb was blown off. Examining the situation, the friend remarked, as usual, this is good. To which the king replied, no, this is not good, and proceeded to send his friend to jail. About a year later, the king was hunting in an area that he should have known to stay clear of. Cannibals captured him and took him to their village. They tied his hands, stacked some wood, set up a stake, and bound him to the stake. As they came near to set fire to the wood, they noticed that the king was missing a thumb. Being superstitious, they never ate anyone who was less than whole. So untying the king, they sent him on his way. As he returned home, he was reminded of the event that had taken his thumb, and he felt remorse for his treatment of his friend. He immediately went to the jail to speak with his friend. <laughs> you were right. He said, it was good that my thumb was blown off. And he proceeded to tell his friend all that had happened. And so I am very sorry for sending you to jail for so long. It was bad for me to do this. No, his friend replied, this is good. What do you mean this is good? It's not good I sent you to jail. How in the world could, I be, could it be good for me to send my best friend to jail for a year? To which the friend replied, if I had not been in jail, I would have been with you. <laughs> this is good. Amen. We have to develop a trust in in every circumstance, no matter how bad the circumstance looks, to know that we serve the God who is the God of heaven, who is on the throne of heaven, who just like that could change anything he wants. And if it was in our best interest and in, in the kingdom's best interest, and if it was um, motivated by his love, he would change it. And so we have to, in all circumstances, thank God, surrender, listen, and obey. Because he knows what he's doing and we don't. Amen. He could have met those two disciples way back in Jerusalem before they ever started on the road to Emmaus. And told them the whole story. And saved them this 14 round trip, round, 14 mile round trip journey. But he didn't. Because he knew what was best. In every circumstance of your life, God could change it. And he will change it if it's his will and you're surrendered. Sometimes he doesn't change it because you haven't surrendered. He wants to change it, but he's not going to preempt your will. Other times, he'll change it later. It, but it's absolutely essential that we develop this trust in him. God makes, has made it uh, part of his history 
to take situations that looked horrible, that looked bad, that looked wrong, and then turn them around for good. Let's just do, just very quickly, audience participation time. As you think about stories in the Bible, who comes to mind when you think of people who were in horrible situations that, that at the time either they or other people thought were just bad, terrible, God should have changed, but he didn't, and then later it worked out for his purposes. Joseph, Joseph is right at the top of the list, isn't it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Throw us in the fire. Oh, no. Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Okay. Abigail with Nabal. Yeah, absolutely. What else? I heard someone say Moses. Moses. Yep. I mean, think about it. David. Ruth. Mordecai. Mm-hmm. Esther. Esther. Ruth. Yep. Jesus. Uh, I wondered if his name might come up. Stephen. Stephen. Saul, Paul, Paul. Paul. Uh, you know, it's just across the board. And if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you will experience it too. Circumstances that you think God should change in your limited wisdom. And that's why we have to develop this incredible trust in every circumstance. God, we, I don't know what you're doing. But my eyes are on you. Which brings us then to this last bullet point. It is the extra time. It is in the extra time that they experience Jesus. Sometimes we don't experience what God wants because we don't give him enough time. And we talked a little bit about this earlier in this series. We don't give him enough time. You can't develop a surrender, listen, and obey lifestyle if you don't spend enough time with Jesus. It is in the extra time. Um... And so, so they're walking along. Jesus pretends that he's going to go on farther. They say, no, stay with us. And then they had, it was the extra time that they had when he revealed himself. The extra time. If you feel God tug you as you're having some time with him, and he says, longer. Maybe you can't do it right then. Maybe you have to go to work or you got responsibilities, but somehow in, you get out your schedule and you're okay, Lord, I, I will do it this time. Do it because it's in the extra time that you spend with him that you will experience him the most. It's the extra time. It's men, and, and increasingly I see it in my life, in the life of this congregation, the life of small groups. It's the extra that we weren't expecting. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to challenge you Um, at the beginning of some of you know that I've had all kinds of digestive stuff and so at the beginning of summer I went on a new protocol that um, Ashley had developed for me and, and as a part of it I have to take a supplement early without any food and then take more supplements an hour or so later with food. And in order to get on with my day, that meant I had to get up earlier. I started getting up earlier. And instead of going back to bed, I, I sat down in my recliner, <clears throat> our recliner, 
the dogs reclining. <laughs> Early in the morning and just start spending time with God by listening to the ESV Bible on my phone. And over the last eight weeks, it has become some of the most precious time I've ever spent with God in my life. It was the extra time. Now, and, and, I, and I began to wonder if maybe two and a half years of digestive stuff was all because to lead up to this. I don't know. If it was, that's just fine because of the depth of experiencing God in those morning hours. In addition to that, <clears throat> I've had times when God has said more, more time. So later in the day or, or something, put in the Bible, listening to the Bible, whether I'm walking or doing different things, just paying attention to that. And it's the extra time. It's the extra time. And I guarantee you, every one of us, it could be while you're driving, it could be while you're walking, while you're exercising, it could be turning off some TV shows, it could be, we can carve it out if God tells us to carve it out because he's never going to tell you to do something that you can't do. But it's in the extra time so often that we experience the presence of God and the direction of God that he wants to give us. It was in the extra time with those two disciples that they experienced Jesus. And I will tell you, it's worth it. Whatever you have to give up, whatever you have to surrender, however you need to change, rearrange, whatever you have to do, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Because the greatest pleasure you will have is experiencing God. Our default is to hear part of what God wants us to hear and then think we have the whole answer or the whole direction. And then we go off and start trying. God's going, wait a minute, I wasn't done. And then we fall on our face and wonder why God didn't show up. And if we turn around, we'll look back and, and God's still waiting back there with the plan in his hands going, let me show you part two. And we come back to him. We go, oh, okay. Relational, relationship with God is the most important thing in our lives. The only way to have that relationship is not just to accept him as savior, but to have relational conversation that guides our lives so that we're paying attention to the tugs and we're experiencing what he has for us. Would you bow your heads? What is it that jumped out at you today? What caught your attention? That you need to do differently, something you need to change, some way you need to shift your thinking, your behavior, your relationships. God loves you so much that the reason he made that stick out to you is because he wants you to experience him and the life that he has for you more than you are right now. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's not the things that you can touch, taste, see, feel. He's talking about life everlasting that starts in the soul. So surrender. Whatever he's pointing out at you, let, it, let him have it.
whatever He's telling you to do, do it. No matter how hard. Now picture yourself giving that to God. If it's an action, He wants you to take pictures of yourself doing it. If it's a conversation you need to have, picture yourself having it. If it's a schedule change, picture yourself rearranging your calendar. And then in your heart and your soul and your mind, say, Lord, I surrender. I'm listening. I will obey. Lord, I pray that you would take what we've looked at in your word today and you would in your love, in your power, you would guide us, nudge us, push us, whatever it takes to walk in step with you. Lord, I pray that for each of us individually, but I also pray for the, as a, as a church family, God, that we would be your people, that we would be your family, that you would use us to point people to you that you would send us, you would draw people, whatever you want, God, with, in living out your love and your truth and your mission, that we could really, truly be your church. Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. We're so grateful for all that you are and all that you do and the ways that you do it. Help us to cooperate more and to experience your joy and your smile when we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me challenge you.